Victory Alabang Podcast. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. Hello, Victory family. We just had a short two-week sermon series on generationship. And it was so encouraging and refreshing seeing our young leaders take on the pulpit and preach the word. Well, today we are going back to our study on the book of Romans, The Gospel Explained. And when you talk about the gospel, the gospel is good news. Everybody say good news. And if you were to ask the four gospel writers, if you're familiar with the New Testament, of course, we have four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about what happened on the day that Jesus was crucified, they would actually run through all the external details of what Christ accomplished when he suffered on the cross for our sins. The betrayal, the arrest, the mock trial, the flogging, the crowning of thorns, the carrying of the cross, his death, and eventually his resurrection. But if you were to ask the Apostle Paul what happened on the day that Jesus died, he would actually write about Romans chapters 1 through 8 as to what Jesus was accomplishing on the cross. That the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe him. That God's wrath is being revealed against all ungodliness. God's judgment will fall on those who practice such and no one is righteous by God's holy standards. Yet God's righteousness comes by faith and our justification and forgiveness comes by faith. The punishment that Christ took brought us peace with God. We used to be dead in Adam, but now we are alive in Christ. We died to sin and we are now slaves of righteousness. We have been set free from the bondage of sin. Jesus fulfilled the law for us and he has given us the perfect record. Now, there is no more condemnation in Christ. And through the Holy Spirit, we can overcome the works of the sinful nature. We are now picking up from where we left off three weeks ago when we talked about suffering. Remember that time? Uh, we were talking about that three weeks ago before the Generationship series. It gave us a new perspective on how we will view sufferings in this life. Yes, you and I will suffer, but we will overcome. As Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, he was talking about the theme of victorious living. That in spite of our present sufferings, we have a glorious future to look forward to. Creation is groaning and looks forward to the liberty it will enjoy when the believers that you and me enter into our glory. We are groaning, eagerly waiting for our adoptions as sons and the redemption of our bodies. Remember that? When we were talking about our bodies being you know, weak, weak, but yet someday we will have a glorified body. You know, the Spirit is groaning for us to help us in our weakness, knowing that all things will work together for good of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. Now let's read from Romans chapter 8, and we'll be picking up from uh, where we left off. This is actually the last passage of this chapter. So if you have your Bibles with you, we'll be reading from the ESV version. Let's read from Romans chapter 8. 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, 
who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep as to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just pray right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time today that even as we talk about your word, give us grace to understand. Oh Lord, help us to help me to speak your word today. And may the Lord, the confessions and the words of my mouth be, uh, Lord, be pleasing before you. And may the meditations of our hearts today and all the people who are listening be pleasing before your sight, O Lord, our God and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. So, you know, there was a story of a Swiss theologian by the name of Karl Barth who was touring in the U.S. back in 1962. I was not even born during that time. And actually, he visited the University of Chicago, and he was asked by a student if he could actually summarize, you know, his whole life theology, his whole life's work in theology in one sentence. And if he can summarize the greatest spiritual truth, Karl Barth replied, yes, I can. And it is what he said. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Simple response, yet more profound than we realize. It is one of the most difficult things that people can believe, the fact that God loves us. It is the greatest news ever that God loves you and me. Do you believe that? So many songs and lots of books and lots of texts and lots of prayers were written about God's love. And yet it is one of the hardest truths in Christianity to grapple or to deal with. You know, if I may ask you a question today, are you really convinced that God loves you? Maybe you're saying, if God loves us, then what am I supposed to say about COVID-19 pandemic? What am I supposed to say about this recession, about sickness, about uncertainties of the future? What am I supposed to say about loneliness, about depression, about separation or divorce? about heinous crimes, about substance abuse, about loneliness, about racial discrimination, etc. What am I supposed to say about all these things? Paul ends Romans 8 by asking and answering rhetorical, seven rhetorical questions. And he said this in the passage that we have just read earlier. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge to God's, against God's elect? Who is the one who condemns? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Well, shall, shall tribulation or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Seven questions that we will try to narrow down to three. And I want to talk about three things that we will find in these passages that is really, you know, God's promise 
for every believer that has, you know, found himself in Christ. First thing is no deposition. No deposition. To depose means to impeach, to remove. It means displacement or dismissal. You know, and even as we've read earlier, if God is for us, who can be against us? Think about that for a moment. Think about that statement and let that resonate in our hearts. Have you ever played two-on-two basketball? You know, when I was young and I was like a young teenager, I used to play basketball in our village. And can you imagine if you played two-on-two basketball in our park and in your park and you are the smallest among the players? But yet you know that LeBron James happens to be your neighbor. And if LeBron lives in your village and he becomes your teammate, then it is a sure win, no matter who is against you. Guess what? If LeBron is with me in playing basketball, then who can be against me? And I believe that that is just a crude example of what we think about who God is. If God is for us, I'm not just talking about us being for God. Because we ought to be for God. We, when we become a follower of Christ, guess what? You and I are for God. But yet God is with us. And if God is with us, who can be against us? In verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? And how can we be certain that God will meet all our needs? Maybe some of us are you know, asking that question nowadays. You know, we see all this unemployment happening. We see all our, you know, some of the businesses are going down. This uh, pandemic has turned into a huge economic recession. We ask this question, you know, can God really meet all our needs? We are certain because His supreme act of love has already been given to us. You know, let me just make this statement. God is more devoted to you than you could actually be ever be devoted to Him. Let me say that thing again. God is more devoted to you than you could ever be devoted to Him. You know, people call their quiet time as daily devotions. You know, we, you know for example, personally, I, I read my Bible uh, in the morning and I, I do my quiet time and I do my daily devotion. And what people are saying is that they want to be devoted to God as what the greatest commandment is saying in the Bible, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But guess what? We will never be as close to God's devotion to us as we want to be devoted to Him. He gave you His own Son, Jesus Christ. He did not withhold His one and only Son from us. You know, Abraham, back in Genesis chapter 22, he was told by God, remember that account? To take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and sacrifice him on this mountain. Yet God said to stop the sacrifice because he saw Abraham's faith and obedience. And on Mount Moriah, the sacrifice of a beloved son was stopped, and Isaac was spared, and a ram was sacrificed instead. But 2,000 years later, on the same mountain, God did not stop the sacrifice of his own son, Jesus Christ and Jesus himself willingly gave his life for us to show us how much God loves us. So if you feel like God does not love you, please think again and look at the cross. Greater love has no man than this, that he is willing to give his life for us. You know, the cross proves 
the generosity of God. God gave us His most treasured possession in heaven just for you and me. And what Paul is saying, you know, how, how do I know that God is for me? Well, I look at the cross instead of my circumstances. And if God gave us the greater, then He will also give us the lesser. If God gave us His Son, He will also, along with His Son, graciously give us all things. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, For I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, to completion on the day that Jesus Christ. The Lord God is not going to stop until He has conformed us into the image of His own Son. And I want to make this statement once again. I want you to just receive this with all your heart. God is for me. Why don't you go ahead and type that in the comment section down below. If you are you know, on Facebook or YouTube, write it on the comment section. God is for me. God is for me. Tell it to the person beside you. If you're sitting down with your family members, God is for us. He's not hostile. I am at peace with him because of Jesus. And God is for us in a way that he produces his highest good in our lives and accomplishes his eternal purpose. Since God is for us, all things will work together for our good. No deposition. That's point number one. Point number two is no condemnation. We see this actually in the beginning, beginning part of chapter 8. That there's now no more condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But the Apostle Paul took the time to say it again towards the end of the chapter. That there's no condemnation. Who will, in verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who is the one who condemns? You know, this section is dominated by legal descriptions. You know, for us, delivered over to him, bring a charge, justifies condemns and intercedes. When you talk about intercedes, it's about to mediate. It's like an attorney. And Christ, our advocate, pleads our case before the Father. You know, our conscience many times accuses us. The devil never ceases to condemn us. And there's no shortage of enemies to make accusations against God's people. You probably find yourself, you know, uh, on social media, you know, people are talking about you, maybe behind your back or maybe... You've done something that's, you know, maybe a blunder, but yet, you know, you, you suddenly become attacked by, by people from all sides. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Well, Satan always tries to bring a charge against us. And even as a Christian, maybe you have done something horrible, maybe a sin, and it is haunting you and condemning you. And maybe you have done a mistake, not necessarily a sin, but... A consequence of that mistake was very costly, which is almost like detonating an atom bomb. The devil will not waste time and he will speak to you and condemn you. Well, the good news is this. We have an advocate. The Holy Spirit was groaning for our weakness so that he can work in us. Well, Jesus is also seated at the right hand of God and is interceding and praying for us. You know what Jesus is doing right now? He is at the right hand of the Father praying for you and me. Nothing and nobody will overturn God's effective mediator, and that's Christ. Because of Jesus' death, 
his resurrection, his exaltation, all make his intercession effective for us. You know, when the charge or accusation is brought to the Almighty Judge, the judge is working for the believer that is to be, you know, that's being condemned. Nothing and nobody will overturn God's not guilty verdict. Did you know that? That when you put your faith and when you receive the gift of eternal life that God declares upon you and upon me, not guilty, you know, that we are righteous in His sight already because of what, what Jesus Christ did on the cross. No charge can supersede God's unconditional verdict of justification. And we are God's chosen ones whom He justified. And if God justifies us, no accusation can stand. And you know, when we sin, for example, what should we do? In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it just simply says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and He will purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, as soon as we admit to Him that we sinned and we repent, He restores our fellowship with Him. He will not ban us away. He will not depose us. He will not actually excommunicate us. He's devoted to us more than you can ever think. And Christ has already borne our guilt and our condemnation when He went to the cross and He died for us. And you know, this brings me to my third and last point. No separation. And in verse 35, it says here, Who shall separate us? from the love of Christ. And then the Apostle Paul enumerated all the, the other things. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Paul gives a list of struggles in the Christian life. You know, maybe you and I are going through some difficulty right now. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Can our most difficult situation, can the lowest point of our life ever separate us from Christ. And you know, the Apostle Paul enumerated all these things. Tribulation. You know, it is a strong pressure in life, like treading of grapes in a winery. Have you ever felt that? That you are being, you know, squashed by the pressure from outside, even from within. Distress or distress is hardship. It's an outward affliction. Persecution is being hunted down like an animal and being killed. Famine is caused by by lack maybe, or by hunger. Nakedness is, you know, not just about lacking clothes because of lack of means, but it also means vulnerability, no protection. Peril means danger of any kind. And then he talked about the sword, which is any physical harm that may befall upon us. Then Paul quoted a verse from the Old Testament that is found in Psalm chapter 44, verse 2. 22. And, you know, if you would think that he would actually bring about an overturn or maybe an encouragement, he actually quoted from Psalm 44 and he said, Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Thanks, Paul. You know, I thought that he will encourage us, but you know, he was describing what he was going through. Paul made a description of his personal life as an apostle that he is constantly facing danger. Now, how many of us today can relate with this verse? We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. It is being honest before God. 
look at us, Lord. You know, we're serving you. We're, we love you. We, we want to obey you. We, we want to honor your name. We want to make your name great. We want to make your name known. We're leading people, and yet this is what's happening to our life. You know, we're facing death. We're going through these trials all day long. And Paul described the situation in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse 24, he said, Five times I received, you know, at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was, you know, adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And yet apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me, on my anxiety of all, for all the churches. But yet in the midst of all the difficulties and the hardships that the Apostle Paul experienced, the love of God that is more real in his present reality and problems is actually being highlighted. What he was saying basically is this, I am loved by God in the middle of all this. And then in verse 37, he said, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul did not say from all these things, but he said in all these things. You know, he was not waiting for God to take him away from the trials. He was not waiting for God to take away all the sufferings that's happening in his life. He didn't say from all these things, but he said in all, in the midst of all these things. We are more than conquerors. And Paul did not have to wait for that, you know, that deliverance from the suffering. But yet he was firm and he was declaring, he was bold enough to say that nothing can separate me from the love of God. He was declared that even in the midst of all these bad circumstances, that he was more than a conqueror. That you and I are more than conquerors. More than conqueror. What does this mean? It is one thing to become, you know, to overcome death and be saved. Maybe you're, you're sick and then you get healed. You know, that's conquering sickness. But it's another thing to die and be resurrected. That is more than a conqueror. Being able to conquer death. And guess what? Jesus died and he conquered death. And he conquered the grave. And he was resurrected. And we also are more than conquerors in him. And then he said in verse 38, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul looked at everything that God created and none of that can actually be able to separate us from the love of God that we can find in Christ. Paul gives us three pairings. It's interesting that when you look at this particular text, he gave us three pairings. He gave us things about existence, about time and location that cannot separate us from God's love. Existence, death, nor life. Time, things present, nor things in the future, things to come. 
location, neither height nor depth, our high point or even our lowest point. Paul is not saying, I will, you know, I will never let go of God's love. But what he is saying is this, God's love will never let go of me. It is not I that will never go of, never go of God's love, but rather God's love will never let go of me. You know, this past week, three of our church members just passed away. It was sad. And, you know, their families are grieving. We will miss them. One of them was a prolific leader in our church. He's a leader of leaders. He was an intercessor, a discipler for Jesus. All of the three people, they're all believers. They're saved. They're children of God. They're eternally secure. Two battled cancer and one had a stroke. You know, on the outside, it seemed that they have lost their fight against their sickness. But the truth is this. Sickness will not separate them from the love of God. Even death will not separate them from the love of God because they are all in the presence of the Almighty God right now, enjoying His love and His peace. They're no longer sick. They're no longer dead. They are, I, I believe they are alive forevermore in the presence of our Lord. I want to end with this statement. Once again, I want to just quote what Karl Barth quoted earlier. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. If you're writing a main point, my main point is very simple. Absolutely nothing can separate us from God's love. Let's just bow our heads right now and pray. I want to pray for a deeper revelation of God's love for everyone who is listening and watching this service. And Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that, you know, even as I pray for the people, Lord, that even as we are being rooted and established in love, Lord, may we have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may all be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I thank you, Lord God, that even right now, that your people would just realize that no matter what they're going through, that, Lord, they are with you because you are for them. And if you are for them, who can be against them? And I thank you also that they will find, Lord God, a, a comfort, knowing full well that you promised nothing will be able to separate us from your love. And I thank you, Lord God, even right now, you administer your peace and your comfort, even for those who are going through such difficulties. Maybe they're going through persecution. Some are going through distress. Some are going through tribulation. Maybe some are going through famine or nakedness, or sword. Maybe they're going through a, uh, a deadly disease, Lord God. But I thank you that you will assure them that not this thing will be able to separate them from your love. And I thank you, Lord God, that you are holding them more than they are holding you. Give them grace, Lord, during this time. And I thank you that Lord, indeed, and I declare that they and all of us are more than conquerors in Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you are maybe visiting our service or if you are new here, maybe you've been coming 
uh, attending the services for a while, but you have not uh, given your life to the Lord Jesus yet, and you're not sure about your salvation, I'd like to invite you to say this short prayer as an act of surrender uh, to receive your eternal life. Let's just pray. Just say this along with me. Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner needing a Savior. Thank you for giving your life on the cross so that I may be saved. I confess that Jesus is Lord and I believe that He is raised from the dead. Thank you, Lord, for giving me eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you pray that prayer, congratulations. Today is the first day of your eternal life. And, you know, we'd love to hear uh, your story and we'd love to pray for you. So after this service, why don't you go ahead and join us in our connect room. And you can actually see that at the you know, bottom screen. And if you are also, you know, uh, attending, you probably, uh, you're probably familiar with all our discussion questions that we post on the screen uh, every end of the sermon. So why don't you go ahead and take note of those questions and why don't you go ahead also and discuss, take the time to discuss them uh, with your family members over lunch, over dinner, whenever you can. Or maybe if you're meeting with your small group during the week, why don't you also go ahead and talk about those uh, discussion questions. We're not just talking about or interested about learning the Word. We're also interested about applying the Word in our daily life. I want to end uh, by giving us a short prayer for benediction, of benediction. Let's just pray right now. Father, thank you so much uh, that even today as you have given us the grace to meet even uh, online, I thank you, Lord God, that your presence is upon your people. Indeed, today, once again, we confess that if you are for us, then no one can be against us. There's therefore no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I think that nothing shall be able to separate us from your love. Lord, I bless your people right now. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and grant you peace. May the love of our Heavenly Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, thank you so much once again for joining us. We'll see you next week. God bless you all. subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.victoryalamang.church.